Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Some simple things that I started to do was practicing self-love and gratitude. I believe those are two superpowers that are free. They're not sexy to speak about but they are imperative to building the foundation of health. You know, gratitude, for example, I have notebook after notebook of just gratitude filled up from uh, not, you know, every night, every morning, writing down what I'm grateful for, because I believe what we appreciate appreciates and what we think about and think about, we bring about. So the more we could feed energy to what is working for us, the universal law states, the more we're going to get for what we want to work for us. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hello, hello, Bettys. Welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This week, we are doing a deep dive into the ketogenic diet with Ben Azadi. Now, Ben, if you have heard of Keto Camp, you may know who I'm talking about. Ben is the host of the Keto Camp podcast, and he also has a YouTube channel with the same name, Keto Camp. It has over 115,000 subscribers, and Ben is very well known in the Keto community for his knowledge on the ketogenic diet for beginners and for how to intermittent fast. And he is now the author of a new book called Keto Flex, which is what we are talking about today. Now, Ben and I, funny story, we actually met over Instagram. So I remember seeing him doing an Instagram live on something keto and I popped in to see what he was talking about. And he saw me and said, Hey, Dr. Steph, I have some questions for you about something. I saw you speak somewhere else at another forum and I wanted to follow up with you. And so we connected. I went on his podcast to talk about my book, The Betty Body, and I wanted to return the favor and have him on mine to talk about the ketogenic diet. So that is sometimes how friendships come to be in um, in this modern day and age is through the gram. Um, so I wanted to share that story with you. And today in our conversation, we talk about all things keto. So we talk about the classic ketogenic diet, its variations, 
the impact of keto on leptin and ghrelin and sleep. And we explore some of the reasons why some people will initially lose a lot of weight on the ketogenic diet and then plateau. So there are other reasons that we explore in terms of if fat loss is a goal, why people will plateau on the ketogenic diet. We talk about he, in his book, he talks about four pillars. So we explore each of those um, and the four pillars being adapt, fast, phase, and flex. And we explain what each of those phases are. We talk about bitters, which is, in my opinion, um, very, very important and a lost art of eating bitter foods. Uh, We talk about toxins. We talk about the carnivore diet, um, my concerns with the carnivore diet. Um, We talk about anti-nutrients like lectins and oxalates and phytates, uh, gluten and saponins, all the the things. So this is going to be a really great conversation for anybody who is either wanting a refresher on some of the physiology around keto, or if you are new to the ketogenic diet, either through my work or Ben's, um, this is going to be a great way for you to learn how to integrate a low carbohydrate diet into your everyday life. Now, just before we let you go into today's conversation, I wanted to also let you know that the audiobook of my uh, best-selling book, The Betty Body, is now available. You can get it on Amazon and Audible. So if you just search up Betty Body, that's B-E-T-T-Y B-O-D-Y, you will find the listing for not only the book, but now the Audible version. And so many of my Bettys, so many of you really wanted this audible version and it's narrated by me. It was really important for me to let you into my geeky head and let you know how I read the book and where I emphasize certain words. And of course, I also go off the rails at several points, stand on my soapbox and go completely off script. Um, So that's some of the bonuses of having the audible version as well. And if you have the audible or the hardcover copy of The Betty Body, if you you're one of those thousands of women who already has the book, head over to bettybodybook.com, B-E-T-T-Y-B-O-D-Y-B-O-O-K.com. I have over $500 in treats for you as a way of thanking you for supporting me and to continue to support the impact that this book is having. So with that said, and without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ben Azadi. I am a huge fan of the Bio-Optimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a 
a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot, as I have been doing, with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. All right, Bettys, I am so excited to be bringing you this week's conversation with Ben Azadi. Ben, welcome to the podcast. So grateful to be here with you, Stephanie. Yeah. And you are um, a fellow podcaster. I have had the pleasure of being on the Keto Camp uh, podcast. It was lots and lots of fun. And we've kind of, we wanted to do a little podcast swap. So coming on your podcast, I was talking about my book and now you're on my pod and we are talking about your new book, Keto Flex. And this is coming out April the 12th. So this will be released uh, in and around that time. And I wanted to I wanted to start our conversation really with how you started the book. So I've been lucky enough, you sent me an advanced copy of the book. I've read through it. And I was really, I was just saying this to you in the pre-chat. I was really surprised that uh, of your story. I would have never guessed that you were overweight. And what really struck me was the story about your father and sort of getting this call. And, you know, so I I wondered if we could start, we're going to talk a lot about the ketogenic diet today, the basic tenets of the diet, how you like to implement and, and layer on some of these pieces to make the ketogenic diet long-term, you know, a success long-term. But I thought just as an anchoring um, place to start really your why, which I think is really important when we're getting, if my Bettys have never heard of you before, you know, why are you so passionate about the ketogenic diet. And if, you know, when people start following you on Instagram after this, after this conversation, like they're going to say like, wow, this guy really loves keto. Like he really loves it. And this makes a lot of sense, you know, in terms of, of why. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about your story and, and your father's story as well. 
Absolutely. And I'm grateful to be here with the Bettys. You built such an amazing community. You did a phenomenal job on my podcast. So it was great to come on your show. Yeah. So a lot of people see me nowadays and they think, oh, this is a lean, young, healthy man. But the truth of the matter is growing up, I was not healthy. I was not lean. I was both physically and mentally obese. Uh, my parents immigrated here to America from Iran to Miami, where I currently live. And they did the best they can with what they had in their resources. So I was born in 1984, parents divorced, and I was left to my own devices. My mom worked three jobs. Two of those jobs were at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. So every night she would come home late and she would bring me leftovers from Kentucky Fried Chicken and I would eat that Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I hung out with the wrong crowd. Uh, I was addicted to things like video games and drugs and alcohol as a teenager. And it really showed with my health. Uh, I was obese physically, like I said, and also toxic thoughts, so mentally bankrupt. And that transferred into my adulthood where I found myself at the age of 24 years old, feeling broken, broken. I weighed 250 pounds. I had no ambitions in my life. I was addicted to video games. And at this time, uh, the girlfriend that I was with, she ended up leaving me. We were together for almost four years and she, she left me. The relationship was going nowhere, rightfully so but I didn't know how to handle it. I never did any kind of personal development, never worked on my mindset. So I was absolutely, absolutely devastated, Stephanie. And I was so broken that I remember being in a room by myself and I started to think thoughts of, I, I can't take this pain anymore. I, I would cry every day. I would have to surround myself with friends. So I didn't have those thoughts going through my head. And those thoughts were more than just a depression. It was suicidal. I would actually go on the internet several times looking for ways to end my life and end the pain. But every time I did, I thought about my mother. I thought about all the things she did for me and how I would not want to do that to her and leave her in that devastation. So it would stop me from pursuing that. Thank God. But I needed to figure things out because at this point I was tiptoeing my way through life, just hoping to land safely on death's door. I didn't know where to start. So at this time I actually started to read books and you see there's a lot of books behind me, but I never read books in my life. I only read the bare minimum just to get through school. So I read one book, and then it led to a second book and a third book, et cetera. And it opened up my whole new world to, to a world that ne I never knew existed. I started to read authors like Dr. Wayne Dyer and Bob Proctor and Lisa Nichols and Earl Nightingale and these amazing people who have all been through rock bottom and they created great things out as a result. And I thought, wow, that's really inspiring. And, and for the first time in my life, I started to take ownership and responsibility over my circumstances. And that was huge for me because up until that point, I was blaming my genetics, my enabling family members. I mean, I was blaming my metabolism, everything that I could get my hands on. But I finally said, all right, enough is enough. I am responsible. And, and that word responsible and responsibility, it's so important to understand that. That is our ability to respond to life. So I immediately at that moment said, I am responsible and it was liberating. I became the victor of my future and I stopped being the victim of my past. And then I just started to exercise. I started to eat better. And nine months from that moment, I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds, 34% body fat, all the way down to 6% body fat. I used to wear a size 38 waist down to size 30. So I finally carved out this physical six pack, which was a goal for me being a kid that was bullied and picked on 
But the most important, I believe, the most important thing I believe I achieved was a mental six pack. I started to think better thoughts. I started to recognize, recognize self-limiting beliefs. And that's what got me started in the health space. Back in 2008, I became a personal trainer. I opened up a CrossFit gym, sold a CrossFit gym, became certified as a health coach, started writing books. So it's important to understand this part of my story. Although I was fit and lean, I was one of those fit, sick people. I didn't really follow the health protocols that I would teach to this day. I kind of did the calorie counting thing, low fat, exercising excessively, and I got the results in terms of weight loss, but I still felt unhealthy. I had acne issues, digestive issues. So I was still exploring, all right, how do I actually get healthy? So I read the China study back in 2012 and I got duped uh, you know, by that book. And I, it's actually not really a study, but I believe that being a vegan at that time was the healthiest thing to do, save the planet, save my health. So I did that for a year and a half and it actually made my health worse. Uh, and I was dogmatic about it. I put myself in a box, but eventually I started to, to realize this is not working for me. You know, my hormones felt wonky. I did lab work. It showed that my hormones were wonky. Which, so which hormones? I, can, I, can I interrupt you? Which hormones were wonky? Testosterone was uh, really low. It was like 244 for oh. my total testosterone. I had uh, and my sex hormone binding globulin was super high. Uh, I was not recovering from my workouts my cortisol uh, pattern was all, all wrecked. It was the opposite of how I wanted it to be. Uh, so it, it confirmed how I felt. And then I decided, okay, I need to do something about this. And this is the time that I actually started to get into the work of uh, Paul Cech and my mentor, Dr. Pampa, and some other people in the space about the ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting. So I, in 2013, I embarked on this journey to understand it and apply it. And for the first time ever, I started to understand health at the cellular level. And I actually felt so much better. The weight was staying off, but I didn't have any of the acne issues, the energy issues. I didn't have to take a nap all the time. So that's where I discovered real health. But that's actually not the reason why I'm so driven today to get the message out there. It was in actually during that transformation or during that time of doing keto, my father ended up getting sick. My dad, his name was Cyrus Azadi. He had type two diabetes. As you know, it's a lifestyle disease that's uh, treated with medication. So I remember throughout my whole adulthood, picking up my dad, taking him to his doctor's appointments. My doctors would give him his insulin, give him his medication, let me know what he should eat at the grocery store. I would take him to the grocery store, fill up his medication box, make sure he was taking his medication. I, I followed it to a T and I helped him as much as, much as I can. But year after year, he got worse. And I remember he called me uh, back in 2013 and he said he was having really bad diabetic neuropathy. He couldn't even walk to the bathroom. He had extreme pain, so he needed help. So me and my mom, we picked him up. We drove him to Mount Sinai Medical Center here in Miami Beach. We put him into the, uh, the hospital, admitted him, and he was so stressed out in the hospital thinking about the possibility of getting his feet amputated. As you know, it's the next step if you get really bad neuropathy and an infection that could spread to the rest of the body. He knew that could be in his future. So he actually ended up suffering a massive stroke in the hospital, which left him paralyzed. It left him with the inability to speak. And that was the beginning of the end for my dad. They transferred him to a hospice. And for nine months, I visited him in the hospice every single week, multiple times a week. I would play Iranian Farsi music with for him. I would play, I would console him and speak to him. He couldn't speak back to me, but I was doing the best I can to make it easier for him. And I remember visiting him one night. It was August 11th, 2014. So about nine months into this whole thing. 
I walked in like I always did, you know, preparing myself. It, you know, it's, it was interesting, Stephanie, because the hospice was actually right in the middle of South Beach. And South Beach is a beautiful place full of great energy. It's, it's so aesthetically beautiful. So, I, you know, I'm driving there. I'm looking at beautiful Miami Beach. And I need to, you know, before I walk into that hospice, kind of reframe myself because when I go in there, I feel like my energy gets, gets sucked. I just see people who are sick, including my dad. So I always go in there with kind of like the shield so I could be there for my dad. This time when I walked into that room, he was in the worst shape I had ever seen him in. He was, he was thrown up, he was convulsing. So I immediately flagged down a nurse to help. And they ended up cleaning him up and uh, taking care of him. And at the end of the night, he looked a lot better. I walked up to him. I remember this is like it was yesterday. I walked up to him and I looked at him right in the eyes and I told him how much I loved him. How, you know how he's always going to be my father. I'm always going to be his son. I kissed him on the forehead and, and I said the words hasta la vista, baby, from both of our favorite movie, The Terminator. When we grew up, we used to love that movie. So I said those words and I drove home that night crying in the car, uh, getting home, crying. I remember in the shower, I was crying and I was praying in the shower. And, and I said the same prayer that I said over and over and over, which for months, which was please just end my father's suffering. He has suffered enough. Just please end my father's suffering. And, and there was something different about the time I was saying this prayer that night, that moment, there was an energy, a feeling about it. And I went to bed uh, later the next day around noon, literally less than 24 hours after that whole situation, I see a phone call on my cell phone and it's the hospice and my heart just sinks in my chest. I, know that so I knew that something was wrong. So I, I pick up the phone and it's the nurse letting me know that my, my father stopped breathing that morning and he had passed on. And I just remember sitting there, my dog staring at me and the black leather couch, I remember it so vividly. And, and a part of me was so relieved that my father is no longer in pain. I no longer have to see the, him in that condition. But the other, other part of me was just so devastated. And when that happened, I had a lot of questions. You know, some of those questions were, why did my, my dad have to go through this if I did everything that allopathic medicine told me to do? I know I filled up his medication. I bought him his fiber one bars and his zero Gatorade drinks and all the foods they told me to get for him. And he ended up suffering as a result. And I discovered, you know, from the work that I now get out to the world and the work that I'm going to share with you today, the same information that I have and share is the same information that would have saved my father's life. I know that he would still be here to this day if I would apply it, applied it to him. But I also understand that I was given that mountain so I could show the world that this mountain can be moved. My dad had a lifestyle disease that was treated with medication. So many people have a lifestyle disease that is treated with medication. And look, there's a time and place for medication, but it's not getting to the cause. Einstein said intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So what I want to do is educate 1 billion people so they could become geniuses so they could understand how incredible their body really is. It's capable of healing. All we have to do, and you know this philosophy, remove the interference, allow your body to heal. There is no pill, no surgery, no supplement that could replace the innate intelligence that we have within us. So that's why I do what I do. And I'm so passionate about it because I want people to understand that message. 
I, I love that. And I, you know, I, we were talking in the pre-chat around, you know, talking about mindset and why this is such an important cornerstone to healing. So just, just before we get in there, uh, you know, the, the, what were they, what were they recommending for your, the doctors were recommending what for your father? You said Gatorade, was it sort of like a, was it a certain type of diet where there were there macronutrient goals that he had to meet? Or was it just keep the fat low or keep the calories low? Like what was the recommendations that he was, that he was getting? Well, they kept increasing his insulin and they told me he needed to lose weight in order to get this diabetes a little bit better handled. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking the question, but, but doctor, doesn't insulin cause you to gain weight? <laughs> and they didn't really have an answer for me. They just said, that's the way it was, but you're, you're right. They recommended, they didn't give me specific macros for him to hit, but they said low fat grains, fruits, you know, fiber one bars and sure, um, Gatorade zero, you know, a lot of products that had artificial sweeteners in them, which is not the way to get healthy. So yeah, it was the opposite of what he should have been doing. It's sort of like the standard food guide. Like when we, when we look at a peer, like the food pyramid, where we see the base is basically grains and breads and pastas. That was the bulk of his, the recommendations for his diet. And then from there, it's like fruits and veg, and then maybe a little bit of meat and then like fat right at the top. That's sort of. Exactly. That's okay. exactly what it was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, I want to get into the keto, um, the particulars of your book, but I think that it's so worth, I mean, you said this in the book, you said, when I changed my thoughts, I changed my life. And you quoted uh, Wayne Dyer who said, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at change. So what can you outline for me? What were some of the, and it doesn't have to, you know, I have found in my own journey, I'll just preframe this and say that I didn't wake up one day and be like, aha, here's the secret. You know, it's, it was just sort of an accumulation and a slower, and maybe I'm just a slow learner. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but you know, it's, it's been a slow learning process for me where I've layered on habit over habit with time. So with you, when we're, when we're talking about creating mental resilience, you said I was physically obese and mentally obese. What were some of the ways that you became, you know, mentally, you know, we talk about metabolically healthy, like what would be some ways that you got mentally healthy, uh, maybe practices that you, that you found useful? What were some of the discoveries, strategies, frameworks that, that you found useful in those days? I started to understand my thoughts and we, on average, the average person thinks about 60,000 thoughts per day, which typically 90% plus of those thoughts are the same thoughts from yesterday. And they're usually negative thoughts. So I got into the work of Bob Proctor to understand paradigms, which are a multitude of habits that the subconscious does and just runs the show. And it's typically during the first seven years of life that we develop these habits that are now ingrained into the brain, into our habits that determine our future as an adult. So I, I started to understand this and I started to become really aware with my thoughts and really conscious with my thoughts. And it's really tricky because it's, it's the thoughts that you're thinking when you're walking your dog or you're brushing your teeth. It's those little thoughts that you're thinking throughout the day. And we become what we think about. I, I, I believe that just like Dr. Wayne Dyer said with the quote, because we don't get what we want in life necessarily. We get what we are. What we are, are those thoughts. So what I did was starting to become really aware of those thoughts. And whenever I had a negative self-limiting thought, which happens to this day, you know, I think all humans still get those thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is to just get really good at acknowledging it and letting it pass and then choosing a better thought. And the better you can get at that, at least for myself, the better I got with that, the better my body was able to heal, the more success and happiness I experienced. 
so it's really about that. And some simple things that I started to do was practicing self-love and gratitude. I believe those are two superpowers that are free. They're not sexy to speak about, but they are imperative to building the foundation of health. You know, gratitude, for example, I have notebook after notebook of just gratitude filled up from uh, not, you know, every night, every morning, writing down what I'm grateful for, because I believe what we appreciate appreciates and what we think about and think about, we bring about. So the more we could feed energy to what is working for us, the universal law states, the more we're going to get for what we want to work for us. And that's a part of the brain called the reticular activation system, RAS, which, you know, whatever we feed energy to it, it's, it's going to see that. And it's going to acknowledge that. For example, when you want to buy a car, a red Mustang, and you go buy that red Mustang at the car dealership, you're driving home now in that red Mustang, all of a sudden you see all these red Mustangs on the street. They didn't just buy the car because of you. It was always there, but now you have the awareness. So when you start feeding your mind and your thoughts, what you want, you're going to start seeing more opportunities and obstacles turn into opportunities. So that's something I did. And then self-love. I, I, I used to practice um, some of Abraham Hicks work, just looking in the mirror, saying, thank you. I love you. It was really weird at first. And then I read a book, uh, the last tip, I read a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depended On It, which talked about affirmations, a small little read. That book changed my life several years ago. That's amazing. That's great. I love that. I love all of that. And I think that, you know, we were talking about this in the pre-chat that, you know, we can talk about any kind of diet. You know, we're going to talk about keto today, but we can talk about any kind of diet. But one of the biggest predictors of the long-term success is obviously adherence to the principles of the diet, but also it's your mindset. It's how you think you are, you know, if you believe that you are worthy, because we know that our beliefs are, are drive our behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever we, you you know, if we're going to, you know, using air quotes here, if we're going to cheat, we're going to have a cheat day or we're going to have a cheat week, you know, or whatever, or fall off the bandwagon in whatever capacity that looks like, you know, you, your ability to get up from that failure or that perceived failure and say, okay, I'm going to dust myself off. What did I learn? You know, and I'm going to start again. That is really predicated on your, how you think about yourself. If you think you are worthy of let's, you know, fat, like fat loss or weight loss, like that's a really big uh, topic of conversation that happens with my Bettys. You know, we are, you know, this is very true for women. And I would say this is true for men as well. Um, but only having lived as a woman, I can only speak to my experience as it's very, there's a lot of societal pressure to look a certain way. So we're always constantly on a diet. I remember one of my patients once she was saying to me, she was, you know, maybe 40, 45 at the time. She's like, I've been on a diet for 30 years. Like I'm, you know, like I'm tired of being on a diet. I just want, and you know, the word diet, meaning like thinking about how I'm going to calorie restrict and thinking how I have to move more than, you know, eat less, move more, this kind of, this kind of punitive, uh, you know, ruminating thought. So I, I think that starting off with mindset is important because it's a big predictor. So I like the affirmations. Um, I, I, I love things like meditation as well for removing sort of old stress and then like new accumulating stress. Obviously movement is really, uh, really great as well. Lots of things we've talked about in the podcast. Um, okay. Let's talk about the ketogenic diet. Let's start with a, like a brief history of keto. Cause I still to this day hear like, isn't it unsafe? It, aren't I going to have a heart attack? Aren't I, my arteries going to clog up with fat. So let's talk about, um, um, the origin of the ketogenic diet uh, back in I mean, it was the 1920s, I think was when it was first starting to be used as a therapeutic uh, use. 
Yeah, uh, I love keto. Let's jam out about keto. Uh, so technically keto is not a diet. It's a, a metabolic process. It's a, a metabolic state. And, and it has been around since humans have existed. Uh, all of our ancestors did keto. Their environment forced them into ketosis, but also they got out of ketosis. They That's where the principle comes from keto flex, flexing in and out of ketosis. So what it is, is just teaching your body to burn fat instead of sugar. Uh, when we look at the body from a cellular level, there are 70 trillion cells in the body or so, give or take, but the cells could only choose two sources of fuel. Either we're burning fat and producing ketones or we're burning sugar uh, and burning glucose. But the, the problem is this, most people who are metabolically damaged, meaning they have insulin resistance, type two, type two diabetes, they're overweight like I was, they are stuck as sugar burners. And, and that is a problem because when the cell is stuck as a sugar burner, that creates a lot of cellular byproducts, uh, which are toxins. And I compare a cell that's burning glucose and only glucose to a truck, a Mack truck that's speeding through the streets with all the smoke being blasted out of the exhaust pipe, going all over the other cars, going all over the trees, staining the roads. That's kind of what it's like when the cells are burning glucose, creating a lot of cellular smoke and inflammation around the cell and the cell membrane. But when we could teach the body to do keto the right way, the way we're gonna speak about it today, and burn fat instead of sugar, that's like a Tesla cruising through your streets. It's a much cleaner source for the surrounding environment when your cells are burning fat and producing ketones. It's a much cleaner source for your cellular environment. So yeah, you're right. In the 1920s, they started to develop ketogenic protocols for epilepsy. Uh, but even way before that, I mean, the Greek, uh, the ancient Romans, excuse me, they there's a funny story, interesting story about the ancient Romans where uh, in the 1800s, the Romans didn't know what the word uh, seizures meant. They didn't have that word back then. So when somebody was having a seizure back then, they believed these people were possessed by demons. So they would actually take these individuals and lock them into a room without food, without water, come back in a few hours, and all of a sudden they would be totally fine. They thought that was the cure to get the demons out of them. But what they did, they forced a fast, which is really a starvation type of way to do it, but the body produced ketones, which helped with the uh, the seizure. So in the 1920s, they started to use this for kids. And then it got more popular uh, with the Charlie Foundation and Meryl Streep and other movies that came out there. Now you fast forward to today, 2021, uh, keto is all the craze. You go on Dr. Google, you'll get over 200 million results for what is the keto diet. So when somebody says, isn't that going to harm you, clog your arteries, uh, inflame you, et cetera, they could be right. If you do it the wrong way, you could get the opposite result of what you want. But if you do it the right way, it could be such a powerful tool to reduce inflammation and allow your body to heal. So let, let's talk about some of the, what the classic ketogenic diet is, and then some of its variations. So in the book, you outline a couple of them, you know, the four to one and the three, you know, all of that. So let's, let's talk about some of those and let's overlay that with what you just said, which is doing it the right way. So maybe we'll just pre-frame this conversation with what, what do you believe the right way is to do the ketogenic diet? So there are a few different variations of the keto diet. You have classic keto, which is very high fat, about 90% fat, and it's low protein, 6% protein, and then very low carb at 4%. There's a modified version of keto, which is a little bit less fat, a little bit more protein. And then you have other modified versions. Now, Without, you know, I don't want to confuse the Bettys here. So I'm going to just gonna explain the best way to start keto. Um, it's if you're brand new to keto, I love something called the two, 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 two rule. 
So what that means is for the first 14 days, as you start on this journey into the great land of ketosis, you want to consume more fat. I don't really track the fat, but I do track this two, 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 two rule, which is every single day have two tablespoons of either olive oil or avocado oil. That's the first two. The second two is two tablespoons of coconut oil or MCT oil. The third two is two tablespoons of grass-fed butter, grass-fed or grass-fed ghee. And the fourth two is two teaspoons of sea salt. What that's going to do, it's going to teach your body to start utilizing fatty acids instead of glucose. Now, at the same time, you want to gradually start to decrease your carbohydrates to get that below 50 total grams of carbs per day. If you've done that, and ideally you want to avoid snacking in between your meals, but if you've done that, you should be in ketosis in about 14 days without things like the keto flu or any of the symptoms somebody might experience. And that's the way that I like to go about it for a beginner. And is this, is this one of your four pillars? This is the adapt phase? Correct. Yeah. It's the first pillar, the adapt phase. Yeah. Okay, so I have so the we're four having pillars. Two, so there's two weeks where you're not changing your, you're not really looking at what else you're eating. You're just slowly reducing your carbs. Hopefully the first ones to go are the ones in your pantry. So like the processed carbohydrates yep. and you have the butter, the MCT or the coconut oil, part of me and the olive oil. And then the two, uh, salt, sea salt. Two, was it two teaspoons of salt, two tablespoons? Teaspoons. Two teaspoons. Yeah. Okay. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Okay. So this is the first, so this is now we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit in terms of what keto flex is. So there's four pillars that you outline in the book. This first two weeks is what you call adapt. So now you're learning to, um, switch from sugar to using more fuel because, and you're taking these on a daily basis, the two butter, the two coconut oil, the mm-hmm. two. And what I actually really, what I really like about this is, you know, sometimes when we think about, diets, it's like, okay, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to do it all right now. Right. And it's, it's, it's sort of akin to, you know, I like to, I always give the example of like, which would you rather do? Would you rather wade into the ocean or would you rather like jump out of a helicopter and jump into like, you know, that's what we all do. Right. We all just like get out of it. We're like, no, we're going to do it. We got to jump out of the helicopter. This is a really nice way to slowly wade into the shallow waters of keto. And I think I'll just add on my, my two cents here as well, as it relates to leptin and ghrelin. So these are two uh, hormones that are involved in feeling full or feeling hungry, uh, respectively. So leptin is, is our satiety hormone. Leptin is our hungry hormone. And when you are eating more fat, of course, it's more nutrient dense than, you know, protein or uh, carbohydrate or even alcohol. Um, but it's also really satisfying. Like it's, 
it's also because of that density, you will feel fuller for longer. So naturally your caloric consumption, I have noticed this and I've had thousands of women now go through my own particular protocol. And what I've noticed is I'll start off by saying, Hey, start off with, you know, 1800 calories, you know, just start off, like just loosely look at your cat. And they're like, I can't get that. There's no way I can get to 1800 on a keto. Like it's too filling. Mm -hmm. So they'll end up, you know, clocking in at like 11, 12, 1300, just in the first couple of weeks, naturally, because it's so palatable. It's so satisfying. Do you, have you noticed a similar pattern where in that adapt phase, people are like, Hey, like I'm actually not as hungry as I thought I was going to be. Totally. Especially the second week, uh, the first week, maybe not so much so, but that second week, uh, exactly. Because the fat is so uh, satisfying. And then what you're also having more protein. So protein, as you know, activates a lot of these hormones that help you feel full as well. A lot of people think they can't live without their carbohydrates and their sugar. Uh, But when you do it this way, you can do it. A lot of people, like you said, they like to jump from a helicopter into the ocean. I'm kind of like that myself. Like I, sometimes I like to go all in with something, but it's usually not the best idea, especially when you want to do keto, because you could just feel like crap. Like if you jump from a helicopter into the ocean, Mm -hmm. you're going to feel like crap. You might be bruised up. (laughs) Same thing with keto. You know, if you're a sugar burner for 20 years and you say, I'm going to do keto tomorrow. Well, you wouldn't just run a marathon without training for it. So you got to train for it. Keto and fasting, they're, they're muscles you want to develop. So this is a great way. So you don't have to get things like the keto flu or brain fog or digestive issues when you gradually get into there. And like you just said, Stephanie, yeah, you're going to find yourself actually more satisfied where you might want to skip a meal and you actually feel better. Right. And that's actually the key. I think in any, in any diet, it's learning how to listen to your body signals, like not, you know, you don't eat just because it's 12 o'clock, you know, you eat because you're hungry. You have to, you know, listen to some of those ebbs and flows of your, of your uh, hunger signals, which I think, um, eating more fat actually does help to heal. Okay. So that was adapt. Let's talk about the next phase, which is what you call fast. So walk us through what fasting is. So that's my second pillar. And it's all about different intermittent fasting strategies. I left it for the second pillar because I've seen through putting people on on several of these protocols that when I get them first into ketosis and then start doing fasting with them, it's much more efficient as opposed to doing it at the same time. It could be too much stress for the body to handle, especially for women, as you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, fast is the second pillar. We start with the 12 hour fast and we build our way up to like a 16, eight, And we teach the body to now really start tapping into its own fat stores for fuel, maybe burn through your glycogen stores. And you could see, you should see an increase in ketone production and a decrease in your glucose, which is what we want. So that prepares you to go through uh, the next few pillars, which is we'll get to, but it's the phase and the flex. So I love fasting. It's such a powerful tool. It's a great way to reset the gut. It's a great way to get some of that autophagy, cellular cleanup. And we do that in that second phase, which is 14 days after uh, 14 days after you start. So you finish the adapt fill a uh, pillar 14 days, and then you move into the fast pillar. And are you still doing the adapt? So you're still generally trying to keep your carbohydrate count. I think you mentioned under 50 grams, but this mm-hmm. two, 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 you're still applying the two, 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 and then you're adding on, you're layering on the fasting piece. So at that point, you're not doing the two, 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 two rule anymore. If you're in ketosis, that was the goal for that to uh, teach your body to burn fat. So you could actually start to scale down your fat and actually increase your protein, allow your body to tap into your own body fat for uh, a fat source. 
And so what are you, what, it, what would be a general, general recommendations in terms mm-hmm. of either the macronutrient composition of the diet, uh, calorie count obviously is going to be a little different for everyone. It's hard to say you, you need 300 and you know, this at each meet, like, you know, what is the, what is the general principle for food during this fasting um, phase? So what I tell them is when you're eating to prioritize protein and you want to have about 40 to 50 grams of animal-based protein, which is about eight to 10 ounces, and then fill the rest with enough fat so that you're satiated and satisfied. And then again, keep your total carbs for that day below 50 grams. And you want the carbs you are are having to come from green leafy vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. So those are the general rules to follow in that fast pillar. And give me some examples of the green leafy vegetables and the starchy vegetables that they can. Yeah, absolutely. So for green leafy vegetables, some of my favorites are arugula, bok choy, dandelion greens. I love that. I'm not a big fan of spinach just because of the oxalate content. We'll talk more about the anti-nutrients, but I like arugula and dandelion greens as well because they're bitter and bitter supports the liver. And one of the biggest issues I've seen with people or the biggest struggles I've seen with people who do keto they have sluggish bile uh, and the liver is so important. I call it the soccer mom organ of all organs. She does everything for us. <laughs> I knew you would like that one. <laughs> so the liver produces bile. Bile is a detergent to break down all the extra healthy fats you're having, but it also has a detoxification effect because toxins love fat. They get bound to bile. A lot of people who do keto and they start increasing the fat, they have a difficult time breaking down the fat and they get digestive issues and they, they feel like crap because they beat up their liver with uh, processed carbs, alcohol, medication, toxins. So we want to support that bile production and the bile flow by having more bitter. So I already mentioned arugula and dandelion. Also coffee could have an effect, apple cider vinegar. Uh, you could take an ox bile supplement as well. Putting lemons and limes over your proteins, that could also help as well. I love bitters. I have to say this is, um, you know, my, my background is Lebanese and and Portuguese. So it's more on the Lebanese side, dandelions. I mean, they get a really bad rap in North America. Like they're just weeds here. You know, like they're just like the things to pull out of the lawn, but you know, my, and my, um, um, my kids, grandparents who are Greek, you know, when they're in Greece or even in, you know, where we are, like they will pick the dandelions. Like they'll be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then they'll go and then steam them. You know, my, um, my ex-mother-in-law will steam them with garlic and oil. And that's actually how I, I love dandelions. Mm. And I, I think, um, even like dandelion tea, right? Like yes. you have that, if you want to lower your blood pressure, it's a great diuretic, you know, it's, it, there's so many wonderful properties, um, with bitters. Let, let's talk a little bit about, um, bitters, because I think that, um, they, as you were saying, like for thousands of years, they've been used as sort of these digestive, um, amplifiers. So, uh, you talked about the the effect that it has on emulsifying our fat or helping the bile to emulsify our fats. Um, I also think that our palate has really changed. Like the generally, uh, when we look at, I mean, I think you talked about um, in the book a couple of uh, foods that had sort of been genetically modified from being more bitter. You know, like squ- I don't know if it was squashes. I can't remember the example you gave, but I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. Where they're much more sweet now. They've been sort of yeah. you know cross pollinated and 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 combined to be more, more sweet. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. When you, I mean, when you look at some like old photos of bananas and, and squash, like you said, 
it looks totally different than what it looks like now apples right and it's so much more sweeter it's been genetically modified and like you said we've lost touch with our palate for these bitter foods mm -hmm. and bitters have have been used for a long time to help with the palate but also to help digest food so something as simple as drinking some ginger tea 30 minutes before a meal could have a great effect uh, with your blood sugars potentially, but also breaking down the fat, uh, taking a shot of apple cider vinegar. That's a great thing to do for your blood sugars and a bitter effect. Coffee, you know, I love a real organic shade grown coffee. It has a good, strong, bitter effect that could actually stimulate that as well. So there's a lot of options out there and a lot of people don't realize it. Like the dandelion in America, People, you say dandelion, like, yeah, you know, I just step on that in my backyard. I but use Roundup for that. Yeah. Yeah. They use Roundup <laughs> for that. Exactly. So yeah. we, we go back to our traditional ways here and, and our body loves that. It heals That's the great. body. All right. Let's talk about the third pillar, which you call phase. So what, mm. tell me about phase, what is happening here? So phase, this has evolved over the years. In the beginning, it was taking your carbohydrates to around 10 to 20 grams. So being a little bit more strict with your carbs. But then about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I started to get into the research on the carnivore diet and some of the healing properties. And I uh, saw and read and listened to a lot of people who had some really great anecdotal evidence. So I decided, okay, there seems to be a lot of positive things going on here. But before I start to teach it to my community, my keto campers, I got to do it myself. I got to live it to lead it. So I actually did um, an experiment last year where I did 40 days of a strict carnivore approach, but I went into it with a baseline of lab work on day one. I did a comprehensive panel, a $3,500 panel of extensive lab work on day one. And then I did 40 days of carnivore. And then on day 40, I did the same lab work to compare. Now, throughout the carnivore experience, uh, I wanted to also see what it would do for my Raynaud's. I have Raynaud's autoimmune disease, mm -hmm. and I used to get a lot of flare-ups, uh, especially after, so my hands would be really cold before I would eat, and then I would eat a meal, and they'd turn really hot and inflamed. That would be my Raynaud's flare-up. So before I started carnivore, I would get a flare-up just about every single day, sometimes more severe, sometimes not. It's improved over the years I've, as I've gotten healthier, but I haven't overcome it yet. So I wanted to see what carnivore has would do for that. So I did 40 days of carnivore. I only had two small flare-ups during the entire 40 days, which was a great, great thing for my body. My skin complexion improved. I lost body fat. My sleep score with my aura ring and readiness scores were all improved every single night. So I felt great, but I wanted to see if the lab work backed it up. And here's the reason why. Actually, let me explain the lab work first and I'll explain why it's beneficial. So on day 40, I did the lab work and I compared. So I did high sensitivity C-reactive protein. I did fibrinogen, homocysteine. I did a thyroid panel, um, HOMA IR. I did a CBC, I did everything. And the most important thing that I saw, every single one of my inflammatory markers were reduced. Specifically, high sensitivity C-reactive protein on day one. Now that's a marker to assess a cardiovascular, a cardiovascular event, right? A heart attack, a stroke. The higher that is, the more likely you might get that. On day one, I was 1.1 C-reactive protein, which is pretty good. On day 40 of eating nothing but animal fat, cholesterol, and protein, that got cut in half, more than half to 0.5 homocysteine dropped, fibrinogen dropped, my A1C dropped a point. Now, the only thing that went up was my total cholesterol and LDL particles. But 
without the uh, inflammation present, I didn't see that as a concern. For me, it's the oxidation that's really prioritizing here and all of my oxidative prior, uh, properties decreased. So it was super healing to my body. And so what you're talking about here in, in this phase pillar, do you want people to be in carnivore for 40 days? How long does that, how long does that last? So it's a 30 to 60 days. Now, somebody who has severe autoimmune, they might, might want to be on it longer. Uh, I don't think it's a long-term tool, just like keto, but it's a great short-term tool. For example, I'm actually doing it again right now. I'm on day 23 of carnivore. I'm doing mm -hmm. another 30 days. Mm -hmm. The reason it's so beneficial, you get rid of all these anti-nutrients that are found in plants and in fruit, but mostly in plants. So they have plants contain these defense mechanisms that they've developed to avoid their predators from eating them. They're called plant toxins, lectins, oxalates, and there's a whole bunch of other ones in there. So when we eat them and we eat them too often and in too much in large quantities, they end up actually poking holes in our gut, which could lead to things like leaky gut where food goes undigested, ends up into the bloodstream and it creates an autoimmune response. And that could lead to autoimmune disease. It could lead to inflammation in the body. So when you remove them by doing something like carnivore for a short period of time, it's a great way to start healing your gut Protein from animal foods do not contain these anti-nutrients. So it's a great way to heal the gut. I saw that for myself personally. Yeah, I, I um, it's funny because there's not a lot of research on carnivore. Uh, but as you said, there's a lot of anecdotal um you know, I have a, one of my um, girlfriends who has Hashimoto's thyroiditis did carnivore, got rid of, you know, the kale that she was having and the, you know, all the things, avocados, all the things that she was intolerant to and really did find that those Hashi flare-ups were improved. So I, I never, I never want to discount the anecdotes. And I think that we, I think the amount of anecdotal evidence that we see around carnivore absolutely warrants further research. And I like that it's a therapeutic intervention because I still, I, I, I still get a little like, oh my God, the LDLs, because I, I, and I listened to, um, uh, what's his name? D Dr. Paul Saladino. Yeah. And he has talked about his LDLs being elevated at like 300 and, you know, whatever it is, like 300, uh, for the last three, four years. And, you know, while that's not necessarily a bad, um, you know, thing it's like, but what we know about LDLs is that it's the exposure over time over the course of, so if you had that amount of like his LDL particle number was like, I don't know, like 3000 and his LDLs were like 300 or 400, or I think in some cases he's even said like in some interviews that it's 500, you know, over the course of your life, that does begin to matter over a short stint, like three years or four years. Um, you know, maybe not so much like that doesn't really matter, but over the long term, when we sort of play the long game, there is quite a bit of evidence that suggests that that high LDL elevated, that exposure to that higher LDL over the course of your life can be detrimental to, um, you know, atherogenic activity and placking and all of that. So I, I think that there's, and I'm, I'm sort of out on carnivore because I have like friend, like, you know, you've said, you know, this is really helpful. I saw all my inflammatory markers go down, did see the LDL pop up, you know, same thing with, I've had friends who've done the same thing where they're like, I had these terrible Hashimoto's thought, you know, flare ups and carnivore seems to eradicate them. So there may also be, you know, with the Raynos, you know, there may also be this sort of subpopulation where this is really good. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, these anti-nutrients um, can be, there can be a particular, either a genetic uh, sensitivity or, you know, the, for example, the oxalates, if they're accumulating and you can't clear them properly, then we get, you know, the kidney stones and all that. So, um, 
so I guess my, my comment here is like, I'm sort of out on carnivore. Like I don't know what to make of it. It's like a subset of keto, which I love, right? Mm -hmm. We're reducing, we're having a carbohydrate appropriate diet. I just worry about, uh, I worry about the long term. If if it's going to raise everybody's LDLs, like just as a clinician, like I just worry, like what, what does that mean? And Truthfully, I don't have the answer to it. So I like that it's a therapeutic, like 30 days, right. 60 days, e- even if it was a year, truthfully, like that's still like if your LDLs were bad, you know, for six months, you know, that's not, t- that's not the worst thing in the world, but it is six, six decades is a problem, you know? So I that's, agree. Yeah. We're on the same page. Uh, I don't, I don't look at it as a long-term solution. I think it's a great short-term solution, but at the same time, you're fixing the gut and doing other things as you do it, right? right? You, you, right. you know, you you could, there's a, a benefit to eating these anti-nutrients. It creates a hormetic stress, but if your hormetic curve is just off the charts, then it, it could create a negative effect. So as you do carnivore short-term, I believe you do some things to fix the gut, maybe do some killers, do a protocol, maybe it's SIBO, and then you could start to reintroduce them and you'll be able, be able to more equipped to deal with those hermetic stressors. And this is nose to tail carnivore. So we're also eating organ meats as well. We're not just eating the muscle, right? So you're getting all the, okay. Yeah, that's important, Stephanie, because if, if you're just eating muscle meat, you create an imbalance with the amino acids, methionine and glycine, which actually can mess up your methylation and you might not feel so good. So the organ meats and collagen helps balance that out. Personally, I don't really like the taste of organ meat. So I supplement with an organ meat complex and then from time to time get some organ meat. So do I, I, I do that as well. I take, um, I typically have collagen and I have, I take colostrum. I do beef liver and beef heart, but they're all encapsulated. Yep. Um, just because I, I, when I was, and I just have like, when I was little, it was like, you have to have your liver, you know? So I would like douse it in ketchup and it still was terrible for me. So I have this like, you know, trauma of having liver and onions, you know, in, as, as a young child. So I just can't stomach, um, organ meats, but there is, there is of course, like the liver is like nature's multivitamin, right? Totally. When you think about all the things that you get from consuming liver. So I tend to have just like the dried out version of it. Me too. Okay. Let's, let's talk about anti-nutrients. This is a big thing. This came up with my conversation, um, with Dave Asprey on the pod, uh, he was talking about lectins and oxalates. Let's in your book, you talk about some of these different categories. Let's, let's kind of go through them one by one where we can find them. And if we think that we are sensitive to them, what we can do is it, you know, for example, with spinach, we know that steaming them, you know, high oxalate foods, we tend, when we steam them, it tends to reduce the oxalate count, but let, let's talk about, uh, let's start with lectins, for example, the plant paradox. Let's start with, uh, yeah. with why lectins are a problem. Yeah. So lectins are commonly found in beans and they, I I noticed for myself when I have lectins, when I have beans, I'm just not performing at a high level. I think a lot of people could relate to that. These are are anti-nutrients that are trapped into their, into the beans and they, they locked in, lock in some of the nutrients. And yeah, there's, there's something to be said that lentils and other beans have vitamins and minerals in it, but if they're locked in because of these anti-nutrients, we won't be able to get all the benefits from it. So what can you do? You could soak them soak them for 24 hours, pour out the water and then cook it. You can use a pressure cooker. These are ways to break down the lectins. The next one is oxalates. You know, oxalates is an important one, especially the topic of keto. For example, a lot of people on keto, they're eating a lot of almonds and a lot of spinach. 
a lot of these keto products have almond flour in it. And actually in the, in the first pillar of the adapt pillar, I actually teach to avoid almonds and spinach for that reason, because a lot of people overdo it and they're loaded with oxalates. So I recommend instead of the almonds have maybe some peely nuts, some pecans, some walnuts, those are going to be much better. And instead of the spinach have the other green leafy vegetables that we spoke about the arugula dandelion greens, or like you said, Stephanie, cook the spinach, pour out the water, then add the oil afterwards. That could help as well. There are other uh, um, anti-nutrients as well. There's saponins, which are usually, they're bitter tasting, but they're toxic, right? And they're found in quinoa. They're also found in legumes and vegetables and herbs. Again, these are not necessarily bad for for you unless you already have such a high stress bucket, then it could just fill your stress bucket and it results in symptoms. So for some people, just removing these for a short period of time could have a, a beneficial response. What about um, phytic acid? That's another one that I hear a lot, like the oatmeal and the... Oh, yeah. yeah so that's going to be in like, in like the whole grains, like you said. Also in legumes, also some nuts have them. So if you could soak your nuts and seeds, if you could, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend too much oatmeal and grains. But if you have a healthy digestive system and you have no history of autoimmune, I mean, you should be able to have these without an issue. But if you start to have them every single day in a high quantities, then it could mm-hmm. end up being an issue. So I don't think we should avoid them forever and do carnivore forever, but it's also going to be dependent on the person, the, the biochemical individuality of the person. Yeah. I knew you, I knew what you were saying. I already knew <laughs> yeah. what you were saying. Well, that, I mean, that's metabolic flexibility, isn't it? Like we talk exactly. about metabolic flexibility as this ability to be glycolytic and lipolytic, sugar burner and fat burner, which is very important, but being truly metabolically flexible should be that you can eat a diverse diet and not be bagged. Like I, you know, quinoa doesn't, I don't feel good when I eat quinoa. I don't like it. So there's something about it. Maybe it's my, the way that I process it. Maybe it's the saponins as you were saying, but true, pure metabolic flexibility is the ability to eat anything. You could do high carb, low fat. You could do low carb, high fat. You could do whatever and, and, and be, and thrive, right. And have, have, you know, some spinach from time to time and not have kidney stones and be able to have the oatmeal. But I think it's when you have the oatmeal, you you said something really important. It's like when you eat it every day, right? I remember when I was, um, I don't talk about this often, but I uh, was also trained in uh, Chinese medicine. So traditional Chinese medicine, uh, while I was doing my schooling uh, as a chiropractor, I also really wanted to learn about acupuncture and I wanted to learn about, um, you know, this, you know, medical system that is, you know, 3000, 5,000 years old. So I took a lot of TCM courses and I remember one of my teachers, the first thing that she said was the best way to have an allergy or create an allergy is to eat the same thing every day. And I was like, oh my God, how many of us eat the same damn thing? We have the same breakfast. We have the same, pretty much the same lunch. You know, maybe there's three or four meals that we sort of swap out over the week, but generally week over week, month over month, we're kind of eating the same shit, right? So I I think it's really important um, what you just said, which is like, you know, eating it sometimes, maybe, you know, once you've healed the gut, you've healed any co-infections that you have, which is also a really big thing in autoimmunity Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, autoimmunity is kind of its own animal, um, but once you heal that, to be able to have some spinach without a flare-up or to be able to have some kale or whatever it is. So, Agreed. Well, That's yeah. real metabolic flexibility. I'm with you. And and you're right. Just It also creates a plateau when you eat the same foods, have the same fasting schedule. You wouldn't do the same workout over and over and over. Changing it up in variety is, is where, really where it's at. Yeah. 
So let's talk about some of the uh, common, you know, troubleshooting issues that people run into when they're a trying to do keto for the first time, and maybe even also in carnivore as well, because I'm sure that, you know, maybe eating, you know, you talk about the, like this methionine to glycine ratio being off. Like, let's talk about some of the common troubleshooting areas that we see in the ketogenic diet. And then again, you know, when we kind of go a layer deeper and now we're doing this carnivore as a temporary therapeutic intervention, what, what are some common things that we may run into there? Great question. So for keto, the biggest thing is just eating the wrong fats, eating inflammatory fats, um, like vegetable oils, industrial seed oils. I would even actually, you know, put fish oil in that category of an unstable fat, because, um, when you eat these bad fats, the cells can't use them. They actually, it ends up gunking up the cell membrane and the receptor sites, the integral membrane proteins, which creates inflammation. And then it's, it makes it more difficult for your hormones and nutrients and oxygen to communicate with your cells, which leads to a symptom. It leads to dysfunction, dis-ease. So these bad fats are all over the place. I was interviewing two people last year on my Keto Camp podcast, Dr. Kate Shanahan, who wrote uh, Deep Nutrition, brilliant practitioner, and uh, Brian Peskin, MIT researcher. And I asked both of them the question. First, I asked Brian Peskin. I said, hey, Brian, according to all of your research, she's done a lot of research. She's read thousands and tens of thousands of studies on bad fats and fish oil. I said, according to your research, would you think, do you think what is worse? having these bad fats, these vegetable oils every single day or smoking a cigarette every single day. And he said, well, if you look at the research out there, if somebody smoked two packs of cigarettes every single day for 28 years, the chances of them developing lung cancer within those 28 years is about 16%, one six. Then he said, if you look at somebody who cooks and consumes these vegetable oils every single day for 28 years, their chances of developing cancer, any cancer, or heart disease is about 86%. So I, I, I heard that from him and there's not like one study that shows this, it's just a combination of what he's seen. So I wanted to ask Dr. K Shanahan the same question. I, and I shared this with her and I said, does this line up with your research, Dr. Kate? And she said, well, actually Ben, it's closer to 100% with vegetable oils. So that's because they are inflammatory. They actually create inflammation around your cell for six to 12 months. So that's they're all keto friendly. They will all get you in ketosis, but they will not allow your body to heal. We want to avoid that. And, and the reason I say fish oil is in there, because a lot of people are taking rancid fish oil. I would estimate that at least 83% of all fish oil is already rancid before you consume it. But even if it's not rancid, even if it's a high quality fish oil, the body's warm, fish oil needs to be cool. And when it starts to mix with your stomach acids, it could turn into a toxic compound and then take antioxidants away from other things to deal with the fish oil. And then another problem with fish oil is that the brain only requires about 7.5 milligrams of EPA and DHA every single day. The rest of the body around 14, uh, 14 milligrams. One fish oil capsule has a thousand milligrams, one gram, and people are doing two, three, four. So they're getting an, a physiological overdose of fish oil and the body needs to deal with that. So I recommend I don't recommend fish oil. I recommend actually getting it from eating the fish and then staying away from the inflammatory fats and eating more of these stable fats. 
Yeah. And, you know, just to, just to piggyback onto what you're saying, you know, it, even, even having the fish, unfortunately in 20, like fish would have been like the perfect, you know, just have it in the fish, except now we have polluted yeah. waters and we have these fa- factory farmed antibiotic upped, you know, salmon. Right. So it's, it's like fish is the perfect food if we, if we were having it 20 years ago. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is with fish, honestly, because I, I don't consume it that often anymore because you, it's yeah. so hard to find wild and it's when you can find it, even just looking at the meat, like the flesh is so like a salmon. I, we're talking about salmon here. Um, it, it's so different. Like wild salmon is like a dark, almost like a dark red mm-hmm. and sort of the farmed salmon is like this lighter orange, you know, with the white striations in it. And I've and they, had, um, they color it. Yeah. They, they dye those. Salmon and the, yeah, that pink slime. And uh, exactly. yeah, exactly. So what and, you can do for the, for the fish is if you, I mean, of course, get a wild caught fish, it's still going to probably have some metals in it. So you could take right. like a binder, mm-hmm. uh, a binder with like activated charcoal about mm-hmm. 30 to 60 minutes before have it sit in the gut, eat the fish. It could collect some of those metals. Mm, good, good. Yeah. And I, Dr. I believe it was Dr. Dale Bredesen, his Bredesen protocol talks for, about the smash fish. So it's sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon, and herring. If my acronym is correct, I'll, I'll fact check myself for the, for the show That's notes. Good. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard of that. The smash. Yeah. Smash. Like yeah. That. So he always talks about these smash, like if you're going to have fish, smash fish, it's these SM, you know, the, the ones I just, that I just mentioned. That's really good. I'm writing that down. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right. So let's talk about carnivore. So things that like troubleshooting when we get into carnivore. So this is the 30 to 60 days that we stay in carnivore, uh, you know, therapeutic intervention. What are some things that can happen? Um, you know, if someone's not feeling good or they have their ratios off, what, what, what are some ways that we can uh, ameliorate that? Yeah. So for example, when I was doing carnivore, the first seven days, I actually felt an energy slump and my workout started to suffer. So what I did, I just included a little bit of some raw honey around my workouts and it totally fixed it. Mm-hmm. So that's something you could do if you feel like your energy is low, if you're very active, a little bit of some raw honey, technically it's from an animal. It's, I mean, from an insect. So it is uh, carnivore friendly. So you could do that, have it around your workouts, but also eating the right quality of meats. Um, there was a great share from uh, Dr. Zach Bush. He was on my show last year and he, he shared with me um, that this is just, this is not like a research study. This is just an anecdotal share, but it was very fascinating. He shared with me that when he used to work one-on-one with patients, one of the patients he used to have was a woman who used to get these panic attacks in the afternoon. And he wanted to figure out why is she getting these panic attacks? So week after week, they would kind of work together and he would ask her, he, Dr. Zach Bush would ask his patient, what are you eating for lunch? And she would always eat the same thing. It would be a chicken salad sandwich from a caged chicken that was tortured, that was in a cage screaming for freedom, screaming for help, which developed stress into the RNA of that chicken. Chicken was killed. The woman ate it. And then actually the woman inherited the stress from that chicken, right? That's a perfect example of why we don't want to eat animals that were tortured, that were caged. So if you're going to do carnivore, if you're going to eat animal products, of course, do the best you can with your budget, but eat clean foods, especially chickens. Chickens are actually the dirtiest animal of them all, even dirtier than pigs. So get a clean source of chicken, grass-fed, grass-finished, get a quality source. The great thing about 2021, you could order it online from good companies. So I would recommend that. And then, yeah, getting enough collagen and getting enough organ meat to meet 
the ratios. Cause if you're just eating muscle meat, you're going to get way too much, um, methionine and not enough glycine, which can mess up methylation. It could mess up the gears and switches of your body, which you might not feel good. Now that's more for somebody who's doing carnivore for more than 30 days to really fine tune that. But even so I recommend getting plenty of organ meat. And we come to your last pillar. So this is called flex, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So now we've done the adapt, we've done the fasting, however, you know, type of combination of fasting, we've done this, uh, intervention of carnivore and now we move into flex. So explain to me what flex is. It's my favorite part of the pillars and it's the whole philosophy behind the book keto flex. I believe ketosis is great. I don't think it's healthy long-term. I, I, as a matter of fact, I believe there's not one diet long-term that's beneficial Thank for you. us. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. A to the men. Yes. It's, it's so true. It's, yeah. it's the variation. It's what you said, right. Stephanie, the metabolic freedom and flexibility. And here's what I see. When somebody is in ketosis for too long, there's four problems that occur. Number one, fat, lo- fat loss actually begins to slow down. And the reason is because the body wants to survive. It's not stupid. Number one priority for the body is survival. So if you're only burning fat as one fuel source and the only fuel source, the body's going to want to slow down that fuel source. The analogy is this. It's like, imagine somebody who has a cabin in the woods and it's the summertime and they know that in a few months it's going to be winter and it's going to be a cold winter. So they start to store some firewood. This firewood is your body fat. They store about 20 logs of firewood to get ready for the cold winter months but it's about four months of winter. They only have 20 logs of fire. They're going to be really scarce with burning that fuel. They're going to burn it as slow as possible. That's what happens when we are stuck in ketosis or stuck with the same diet long-term. The body starts to slow down fat burning. But when you have a keto flex day, and I'm going to explain what that is, that's like your buddy coming over to your cabin saying, oh, you only have 20 logs. Here's another 200. Now you're going to be more inspired, more motivated to start burning up and ramping up burning. Same thing. It reminds the body when you have a keto flex day, it reminds the body it's not starving. You have an alternate fuel source and that's what we want. That's metabolic freedom and metabolic flexibility. Uh, The second issue is the thyroid. I mean, you talk all about this, Stephanie actually gave you several shout outs in the book because a lot of my research is credit to you, but we need insulin to convert inactive T4 thyroid to T3 thyroid. T3 is the active form. Every cell has a receptor site for T3, not T4. And if you have chronically low levels of insulin because you're doing too much ketosis, too much carnivore, then that could Uh, the the conversion could start to uh, be inefficient. And then all of a sudden the thyroid starts to dysfunction and you have issues. So those are two big reasons right there. Also real quick is uh, sex hormone binding globulin. I've actually seen that become wonky anecdotally with people who are too strict in ketosis. And then also leptin. Leptin is something I see. And it's interesting because I haven't really figured out why because we know that when you're eating a high sugar diet, you get leptin resistance. And then when you do keto, it becomes more sensitive. But for some reason, from what I've seen, when you're doing keto too strictly, it actually gives you a counter effect. So we're having a keto flex day actually helps ramp up, I guess, the receptor sites of the leptin. Maybe you know more than I do. I've actually, I've actually noticed the same. So when you, what I've noticed is we, when you are first doing keto, that therapeutic intervention where you're going for the ketosis, you're like at least 0.5 millimolars per liter, but you know, ideally around one, um, over the, so initially there's a sensitization effect, right? Cause you have the insulin, the carbohydrate consumption drops and therefore the insulin does, but over the long term, And when I've, when I've seen this with, um, with private clients and I've given them, for example, they've done like, um, uh, an OG 
OGT, um, uh, oral glucose tolerance test where we've given them this like it's like a disgusting drink Yuck. that they have to, yeah. So they have to like, just kind of knock this back. Um, people who are like purely ketotic, they are only in ketosis actually don't do well with it. And I don't, I don't know what the reason is. Um, there may be some downregulation. I don't, I, I can't, exp I don't know what the explanation is. There, um, because we know that there's, um, you know, insulin can, um, you know, it's required, for example, to drive, uh, glucose into the muscle cell, not necessarily into the liver. So th there's, a, there's, a, I, I go down like this nerd rabbit. I don't exactly know why is, is kind of what I'm saying, but I agree with you when you start to sensitize them, you have what some might call a cheat day or maybe a carb up day where you may be strategically having more proteins, maybe more carbohydrates. That does seem to, if I were to give a patient, you know, a, 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 you know, we'll call it a keto flex day, right? We've given this keto flex day and then do the OGTT afterwards. They, they tend to fare much better than if they were in ketosis and they've been in ketosis for a long time. And that was actually the, that's really the number one thing that I've really changed my mind about uh, with keto um, from sort of the inception when I first was very interested in, in it, um, you know, several years ago to now, I used to think like insulin was the enemy. We had to avoid it at all costs. Same. And, you know, like I, insulin growth like factor. We had to keep that down. We had to keep mTOR down. We had to keep it all down. And it's like, no, that's not right. We, sometimes it is warranted. And you know uh, what's interesting, Stephanie, is that I've interviewed uh, several people, brilliant people, including yourself for my show. And I've interviewed, I've interviewed a lot of people who are teaching keto and teaching, teaching it long-term. So they actually disagree with us. And I ask them the question, I say, okay, you haven't seen any issues with being chronically low insulin. And they tell me no, but then I ask them, I always ask them, but is there a time where maybe you have some ice cream with your kids or maybe you have this and they like, yeah, from time to time. And I'm like, oh, well, there you go. Like it's not, you're getting that insulin spike and that's where actually the magic is happening and helping right. this be more sustainable. I love it. All right. So tell the Bettys uh, a little bit about, so tell them about where they can find the Keto Flex book. Tell them where they can find you and plug your podcast, all the places that people can find you on the interwebs. You could get the book uh, over at ketoflexbook.com. It goes to the Amazon page. It'll be available for Kindle and for paperback. I'd love for you to get it. I do have an entire chapter all about keto and fasting for women. Again, a lot of that research, I gave credit to you, Stephanie, and my colleague, Dr. Mindy Peltz, and a lot of the researchers out there. So there is a chapter on how to do it week by week. Uh, and then there's other protocols for keto flexing as well, just some general protocols. So that book, I believe it's going to be one of the better written keto books out there. There's a lot of great keto books out there, but I've been writing this for two years, putting a lot of research into it. And I also throw in some mindset principles as well. I can't, you know, leave that out. Um, so you can find that. And then on Instagram at the Benazadi is my name. Clubhouse is the same thing. And you could just type in mine. Oh, my YouTube channel is great. We have uh, over 120,000 subscribers on there. It's just Keto Camp on YouTube and the Keto Camp podcast. You could start with the amazing episode that Stephanie and I did on my show just a few weeks ago. Awesome. I'll make sure that we link out all of those in the show notes, including our conversation. Yes. Um, and yeah, that's great. And I'll also just say too, that the book has a lot of how to's in it. So you have like, here's the proteins that are good. Here's the fats that are good. Here's the recipes. Here's like some lunches you can have. Here's some breakfasts that you can have. Here's an example of the carnivore day. Here's an example. So you, you actually, it, it's also, it's theory, right? There's science, 
But there's also application, which I think is is really important for people who are new to keto who want to try it. So very, very well done. Congratulations on the book and all the success that you've had on YouTube and uh, on your podcast as well. You've had some great guests on there. Um, So this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And I am really looking forward to uh, your continued success and cheering you on um, as a as a colleague as well. Right back at you. I respect you so much, Stephanie. Thank you for today. Thank you. All right, Bettys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, that deep dive into the many facets of the ketogenic diet and how it can be beneficial for you in your everyday life, your weight loss and fat loss goals. Now, I always like to leave a little Easter egg at the end of these podcasts, because if you are someone who is still listening, then you are just one of my A plus Bettys. You are my, what I like to call my boardroom Bettys, my type A's who make a decision to complete and then follow it through. So thank you for that. And if you are feeling so inclined, I would love to ask you for a rating or review of the pod, um, either on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast, but iTunes is the main one. If you listen to the podcast, five-star rating would be absolutely phenomenal and even more so would be a review. The more that iTunes sees that people are paying attention to this pod, the more it will suggest it to other people. And we are now regularly in the top 20 in all categories, um, or pardon me, all countries uh, in alternative health and uh, recently made the top 20 in the U.S. as well which is a huge feat and a huge win. And that win is because of you. So I want to thank you. And if I may ask, if you're feeling so inclined to rate the podcast, that would mean a lot to me. I read all of the reviews from all across every country. Um, We have a service that I can see all of them coming in from everywhere. Uh, And even people who have suggested that I need to up my sound game. That was a recent review that came in. And for if that person is listening, I just want to let you know that I'm investing in some panels. Um, for my wall and we will be upgrading the audio for you as well because if you give me some constructive criticism and you best know that I am going to go out and I'm going to improve upon it. So um, please rate, review, let me know how the content is landing with you and we will see you here next time. Same bat time, same bat channel uh, with our next week's interviewee. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 